What a beautiful presence of God has filled this room. And we thank you for being here tonight to look into the word of the Lord. How many know that the word of God is the source of all life? The word of God is the, is the means by which we will uh, find victory and find power for our lives. So we're going to look into the word of the Lord tonight and we're going to continue with what we began last week. We uh, are studying the matter of enemies of the heart, enemies of the heart. And we are, uh, we are dealing with the subject of uh, the fact that the heart is a, an invisible uh, invisible thing that God created and put inside of each of us. The Bible speaks much about the heart, but doesn't really provide a, an exact definition of what the heart is uh, or where the heart is. You know, I, I don't know that I can stand up here and tell you uh, where to find your heart. Uh, the Bible talks about it. Uh, but, but we don't know what it is. We don't know where it is. And the Bible says really important stuff about it. It talks about the fact that you have to love God with all of it. The only way to keep his law and to keep his precepts is with a whole heart. And, uh, and so out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So if you want to know the condition of your heart, pay attention to your words. You don't really know the condition of your heart, but you can diagnose it by paying attention to what you say when you mean what you're saying. I don't mean the, I don't mean the fake stuff you do to let everybody think everything's fine when it's not fine. I'm talking about the real stuff you mean, the real stuff you think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth will speak. So we can figure out what's going on in there simply by paying attention to what we are, are dwelling on and thinking about and then how that translates into words. So somebody said, watch your mouth. Well, you should, of course, watch your mouth. But if you really want to get a control on your mouth, you need to watch your thoughts. Because it's your thoughts that will translate into words. And once words start coming out, those things are scary because words can actually create realities. So we're going to talk about enemies of the heart. Your heart has enemies. The devil wants your heart. He doesn't care about what people see. He doesn't care about uh, what, people are, uh, what people think of you. He doesn't really care about... Uh, you know, the reputation you have. You're more concerned about your reputation than the enemy is concerned about your reputation. He wants your heart. He doesn't mind if you come to church. He wants your heart. He doesn't mind if you, if you sit on a pew uh, for the next several decades as long as you let him have your heart. That's what he's after. And God is after the heart. I told Samuel, I'm looking not for somebody who who looks like a king or, or maybe what others would look after. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. 
So it's important that we understand this. Now, what we need to understand about the heart is that you can look for it all you want, and you're never going to find it. You're never going to locate it. You're never going to be able to put your hands on it and, and address its needs. So you have to go to the heart specialist. And that's, of course, the Lord of glory. God is the one who understands the heart. And so we're talking about enemies of the heart. We're re, we, are, we are dealing with an excellent book that I would recommend you go and uh, purchase uh, by Andy Stanley, Enemies of the Heart. So I want to be clear that this is something that I'm teaching. Uh, I'm not teaching everything that he put in the book uh, because uh, we wouldn't be able to do that. But I am focusing on the principles of what he is uh, describing in his book. Uh, we wouldn't have the time to go over every word, but... The principles of this book are outstanding. He identifies four enemies of the heart. We dealt with the enemy of the heart last week called guilt. Guilt was the enemy of the heart that we dealt with last week. And guilt, the symptom of guilt, and the real uh, problem with guilt is that it develops within us a mentality of I owe you something. And we live in this continual state of, of shortage when it comes to being satisfied or being contented and we have our sins hanging over our heads and we have our mistakes and our failures of the past hanging over our heads and so the, the enemy of the heart is guilt and the problem is that it develops this mentality of IOU that is a symptom of it and then of course the cure that we described was confession own up to it. This is who I am. This is what I've done. I'm, I'm guilty. And, and when you make confession, you eliminate from your life the dominance of secret sins. And secret sins dominate people's lives and, and, and hold them into a, a bondage of sorts. And when you confess... You are breaking the chains of those secret sins. This week we're dealing with the subject of anger. This is the second enemy of the heart, anger. We're not going to talk necessarily about anger management. We're going to talk about really dealing with anger, understanding anger, and not letting it have power in our lives. Now, through human resources, you might be able to manage your anger, but but we're not necessarily interested in managing it. We want, we want to put it off of us and really be free of its power. Now, it is a normal and natural emotion. In fact, anger is an emotion that comes from God. There are many passages of Scripture that uh, teach us about the anger of God. Uh, one of the, uh, and there are two truths I want to share with you about the anger of God. Two things that you, that you need to know about God. One, his anger is fierce. It's fierce. If anybody has ever been the recipient of the anger of God, you don't ever want to have to go through that again. I don't know that any of us have really experienced the raw anger of God. It is, a, it is a terrifying thing. As a matter of fact, the scripture describes uh, when his anger will be poured out, it describes it as the great and terrible day of the Lord. 
And so it's, it's fierce. His anger is fierce. But here's the other thing that people need to remember about the anger of God. He is slow to anger. So it's very important that, that we preach a balanced message about the anger of God. One, it is fierce. Don't kid people. It's fierce. He's not just some patty cake God that doesn't, doesn't ever get upset about anything. His anger is fierce. But he is a merciful God. And so he is slow to anger. And uh, he doesn't just fly off the handle over every little thing that, that bothers him or bugs him or crosses him. So his anger is fierce. His anger is slow to it. And it is a normal emotion for us to have anger. But here's something I want you and I to understand about anger right off the bat. We're not God. So we don't get to just be fierce with our anger. We're not God. You know, the beautiful thing about God is that while God has a fierce anger, he also has all wisdom. Something we don't have. We might have some wisdom, but we don't have all wisdom. And so, so God is the one who can be trusted with fierceness of anger because he has all love and he has all wisdom and he has all power. And so he can be trusted then with this, this raw anger. But you and I do not need to be trusted with raw anger. And so uh, sometimes and many times we, uh, we allow ourselves to enter into a rage or we allow ourselves to enter into a, uh, into a position of being anger and we angry and we chalk it up to well it's normal it's natural and everybody everybody experiences that and so the bible uh, describes to us how that we are in fact to put it off in fact colossians chapter 3 verse number 8 colossians 3 verse 8 states but now you also put off all these anger wrath Malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. These are the deeds of the old man. Lying one to another is a deed of the old man. And filthy communication coming out of your mouth. We're living in a world where people don't, see any problem with filthy communication coming across their lips. It's a deed of the old man. And you can debate all you want what words and words do and don't qualify. If you got to stop and wonder if this word should or shouldn't be said, then it shouldn't be said. <laughs> Amen. It's a deed of the old man. It's something the old man would say. It's the coarseness of this world. It's the crudeness of this, of this world. And so put it off of you. And, and blasphemy is a deed of the old man, and malice is a deed of the old man, and anger is a deed of the old man. Anger is a deed of the old man. And so we're going to talk about that again because it is, it is an, an, a, an emotion that a person can, uh, can experience, and it's normal, and it's natural, and we see that God gets angry. And so I want to just confront our thoughts about anger for just a moment because there are some things that we can become legitimately angry about. 
But now, I, I know the scripture that's going through everybody's mind who's paying attention. As I'm saying, put off anger is the scripture, be angry and sin not. And so we're going to look at that verse of scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. And, uh, and, and so I, we're going to talk about that a little bit. First of all, it's some folks' favorite scripture. They love, some folks love this scripture more than the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen. Some people love this scripture more than for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Or then Peter said unto them, repent. Because this gives them and this, this justification to, to be angry. But this is certainly because of everything else the Bible says. And I, and I, and I want to take a moment just to help you in your researching of the scriptures and understanding the scriptures. When you come across a, a verse of scripture... Of that, that you think might justify your flesh, you are not rightly dividing the word of truth. You have to factor in what else the scriptures say about the topic so that you can understand this in context. Never will the scriptures justify your works of the flesh or your deeds of the old man. Never will they do that. The scriptures are there to help you and I overcome the old man to live in newness of life. So in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, we read in verse number 21 of Ephesians 4, Paul is dealing with the Ephesians in the same way that he was dealing with the Colossians. He's trying to help them become new people and to put off the deeds of the old person that they were. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation. See, this is another thing, put off. He's, he keeps referring to this, to each church that he's reaching and ministering to, put off. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. That might be one of the scariest terms the Bible records. Deceitful lusts. Because if it's a lust, that means it's something that you really, really, really want. But if it's deceitful, you better run for your life. And the lusts of your flesh are deceitful. And the lusts of your eyes are deceitful. And the old man is filled with deceitful lusts. Corrupt. Now, these are words that are, are very pertinent, but we just kind of push past them because we read them so much. We're professional uh, Bible readers and skimmers. We skim through the scriptures instead of delving deep into each word and applying it to our life. God does not want us to be corrupt. Corruption is a death term has no place in the life of the child of God. Corruptible. This corruptible body will take on incorruption. So when something is corrupt, don't just push that aside like I've read that word a hundred times. No, understand that you need not to be corrupted by this world or by the former conversation or by the old man. Verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Verse 24, that you put on the new man, 
which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, work it out. Resolve it. You know, when you wake up the next morning, you need to have, you need to embrace newness of life. His mercies are new every morning. That doesn't mean before you go to bed, go chop somebody's head off and say, now I feel better. I feel so much better now that I got off that off my chest. Don't, don't be firing off emails and texts. Now I can sleep real good. No, 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 it means, it means you need to get into the practice of letting it go to God. You need to get into the practice of putting that wrath off of you, putting that malice off of you, putting away that lying and putting away those deceitful lusts and, and, and put on the new man. So be angry and sin not. This reference to being angry and sinning not is indeed for sure a reference to the fleeting emotion that anger inevitably is. You cannot help sometimes but be angry about something. Some things cross you. And, and your first feeling is, oh, no, they didn't. And you can only bite your tongue so long till you bite it off. You don't, want, don't, you don't have to bite your tongue off. You need to use that so you can speak in tongues sometimes. You need, to, you need that tongue to praise God with. So don't bite it off. But it's not talking about dwelling in anger. He's not giving us a license to live angry. The reason that we know that is because he very clearly states, be angry but sin not. And, and, and so what, what he's telling you is, is he's actually saying you cannot help sometimes being angry. But when you let that emotion take up residence in your heart, you're sinning. When you let that emotion create hate, you're sinning. When you let that emotion develop something inside of you that, that is bitterness, and we're going to talk about bitterness in a little bit, then you are, you are entering into sin. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to let you know there's no condemnation in being angry about something. But you need to grow in God to the point that you can deal with that anger. And say, I'm not going to let the devil get a foothold in my life. The very next verse, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Why? This is why. Neither give place to the devil. When you are angry and you remain in anger and you let anger take up residence in your heart and mind, you are giving place. To the devil. Do you know what that means? That means, you know, the Bible says that the devil is looking for places that already are furnished apartments. 
He's looking for, he's looking for a place to set up shop. Set up. Somebody said, idle mind is a devil's workshop. And, 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 and when you are angry and you allow yourself to remain in a position of being angry, then you are sweeping and garnishing the room for the devil to enter into your life and you're giving place to the devil. I mean, you're just setting it all up. What would you like? We got, we got two double bedrooms. We got a king with a, a, a pull-out sofa. And we got amenities in some of our anger chambers. Continental breakfast. Whatever you want. You just come on and give it place to the devil. And then we wonder why we're tormented. And then we wonder why we lack joy. And we wonder why we, we lack a desire for the things of God. And we wonder why we lack love for our brother. Because you got a devil that you've given place to. Because you were angry and let it develop into sin. Because you continued to let the sun go down upon your wrath. Listen, you know, sometimes it's not just the sun go down on your wrath one time. Some people have let many suns. It's been many moons. Since you've dealt with the wrath. And you are strong enough in the Holy Ghost to deal with your anger and with your wrath. You really are. You, you don't need some kind of a pop psychology to figure this out. You don't need, you don't need to... Uh, it, it, the, the teaching of the Word is designed to help you apply the gospel to your life so that you can know how to utilize the very powerful tools at your disposal. But understand, you have powerful tools of the Spirit at your disposal. So we're going to teach the Word of the Lord tonight to talk about how to overcome anger, how to overcome wrath, and how to let it go, and how to release it. And it's all by faith. I'm not going to be able to send you to a store to, to, to buy an anger shovel to some way get down in there and root it out. I, you're going to have to do this by faith. You're going to walk by faith and not by sight. And so, so we're going to do that. But, but understand, before you understand anything else, understand that everything you need to overcome anger in your life, to overcome bitterness in your life, to overcome these feelings of, of being cheated, of being deprived, these feelings can be dealt with and can be resolved by the power of the Holy Ghost inside of you. Amen. And so we are not angry to the point that it leads us to sin. If you get, if you get angry, you need to, to deal with that. I remember my wife told me uh, years ago, you need to wait 24 hours before you respond to something that made you angry. And it was some of the best advice because when I wouldn't do that, I would harm people and hurt people because I would let that anger come out on them. But when I, would let, when I would let the Spirit of the Lord soften my spirit and I would let the wisdom of God speak to me and direct me, I'm telling you, every time that I, I didn't do that, every time that I didn't just 
just wait on the Lord, I hurt somebody. Unnecessarily so. But when I would let the Lord put things in perspective for me, then I was able to approach things with wisdom and with, with the grace of God. I remember one time my brother was, was under severe attack from somebody and uh, they were being so awful to him. And I, my brother was being such a good Christian about it and I thought he needs somebody <laughs> to, do the, to do the heavy lifting. And it's not, it's not, I mean, it's technically not me having a bad spirit because I'm not the one fighting back. I'm fighting for. There's a difference, right? Think? I think. Makes sense to the flesh. I'm not fighting back. I'm fighting for this is noble. And man, I came out with heavy artillery. I'm, folks, I put together an email. Oh my word, it was, it was rich with jabs and barbs and, and sarcasm. Oh, man, I mean, I had, I was right, pretty impressed. And I put this, and it wasn't for me. See, so now I can really, I can really take advantage because now I can take whatever anger I've got about other stuff. I can put it all in this email and direct it towards this person who's being horrible to my brother. So I went, I put this thing together, and I mean, I got to the last paragraph, and I put my exclamation point on it. And as I was about to push send, the Lord spoke to me. And he said to me, this is what he said, and this, it's a heavy thing that he said. He said, do not rebuke a fool. He is not wise who rebukes a fool. And I, I stood back because I didn't say it. God said it. And I deleted that email. And I realized that I would have been, I would have been the fool if I had done this. And I called my brother and I said, I want you to know that the Lord spoke to me and I had put together an email and I gave him some of the highlights of it. He said, I'm really glad you listened to the Lord and didn't send that email on my behalf or in my defense. And this is what the Bible means when it says, be angry but sin not. Let the, you, it's okay for the anger to come. You can't necessarily prevent anger from coming your way. But when anger comes, you got to know that the enemy is at the door. The enemy wants to turn this into a weapon against your heart. And he would love to, listen, let me tell you something. When you vent that anger in the wrong way or to the wrong person, you have created a new problem for yourself. A problem that didn't exist until you let anger win this battle. So anger, like a wave comes over you. And, it's, and it comes in waves. I mean, it's... It's in your veins, and it's in your joints, and it's in your muscles, and it's in your tongue. Lord knows it's in your tongue. You feel it kind of like the Holy Ghost. I feel it in my hands. I feel it in my feet. I feel it in my heart. I feel it all over me. 
You better find a place to pray. Get alone with God. Don't, don't, let that, don't let your fingers get anointed on the keyboard or on the iPad or on the iPhone. Don't, don't, don't let this come out in the wrong way. You've got to be angry, but sin not. Don't wound people with your anger. Don't, don't, uh, don't create a new problem for yourself with your anger. And uh, you're venting. Uh, you know, we all, I know what, you know, sometimes you, venting is important. And that's what you're doing when you're sighing. Anybody ever get upset or, or angry or maybe even just stressed and you sigh? <sighs> that's called ventilation. It's also passive aggressive, but it's ventilation. <sighs> Do your venting to God. I know you got to have counsel. You have to seek counsel, and, and that's that's a totally other subject. That's actually in the in the uh, in the, the the way that God will help you is to seek godly counsel, and and so I'm not talking about that. That's not venting. That's genuinely seeking godly counsel, but 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 venting needs to be done with God. Hallelujah! What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Hallelujah. I love the line that says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. I wonder if we could get back all the forfeited peace in our life, how much peace we would have. But all because we did not take everything to God in prayer. So be angry, but sin not. It's not a justification to live in anger. It's not a justification to... To dwell in a position of being angry, it is a, actually a, a directive from the Lord that we allow anger to be put off from us so that it does not lead to sin. There are people who are still angry, and it's, it's, it's the great majority of us that deal with this. If you dwell on it long enough, you can be angry about things that happened decades ago. You can be angry at people who don't live any longer. You can be angry at people who live on other continents, on other sides of the nation, on other sides of the city, and you never have seen them again. And, and your anger is eating you alive because of the situation. And I'm not saying that you don't have a reason to be angry. We could go through various lists and, and see broad justification from the flesh's perspective for anger. And, and when you look at what people have experienced in life, there, I can't tell you how many times I hear circumstances and I... I, I don't have any, there's nothing I can say to make the circumstance better. It's a bad situation. It's just a bad situation. And the person comes to a crossroads as to whether they're going to be angry and live in anger or whether they're going to forgive and release. Release it to God. Here's what you have to know about, about anger. Anger is an enemy of your heart. And you will 
suffer from that enemy and from the effects of that enemy as long as you allow it to take up residence in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit. It's robbing you of joy. It's robbing you of peace. It's robbing you, depriving you. It is your enemy. And the enemy has come to steal, to kill, to destroy. Seeking whom he may devour. And so the thing that you have to understand is that there are some things that are perpetrated against you. They just are. Things have happened in your life that are not right. Now we've all done our share of wrong. We've all done our share of wrong. We've all done our share of hurting people. If we are honest, we're not the only ones who have been hurt. We've done our share of hurting people. But what makes us angry is when somebody hurts us, wounds us, betrays us. And it can be as, it can be as simple as being overlooked for something you deserve. Or as significant as something terribly unfair, unjust, unrighteous being done to you and you're left with all the broken pieces of life to deal with. And, and, and these situations can make you angry. Now, in guilt, we talked about guilt last week. In guilt, we talked about the fact that guilt leaves a person with a mentality of, I owe you. And so they parent out of guilt and, and, they, and they, uh, they live life out of guilt. And their relationships are laden with guilt. Their relationship with God is laden with guilt. And the, and the cure for that is confession. This week we're talking about anger. And the mentality associated with anger is not I owe you. The mentality associated with anger is you owe me. You owe me something. Because I deserve something. That's the enemy of your heart. The enemy of your heart comes in and speaks to your heart and says, they owe you now. You deserve to be treated better than that. You deserve not to be overlooked the way you were overlooked. Not to be unappreciated the way you were unappreciated. Certainly not to be wounded and violated the way that you were. No question. No question. Ladies and gentlemen, that there are reasons for which to be angry. But if you let that anger live in your life, then you will lose the battle of the heart. And you don't have to lose the battle of the heart. God came to give you victory. God came into this world and suffered, bled, and died so you could have victory in your heart over the enemy of your heart. Over the enemy of guilt. Over the enemy of anger. And I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, I know that I'm teaching and speaking to people tonight that you might be sitting there listening to me and you're thinking in your mind, I don't know how I could ever get over this feeling that I have of anger, of bitterness, of resentment toward this individual or about these circumstances. They owe me something. There is a solution. There's a solution. 
There's a solution to guilt. There's a solution to anger. Now, it's the same solution for all these enemies. The solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is a solution for everything. It's when, it's when you know that Jesus paid it all. Because, because these enemies of the heart have to do with indebtedness. I owe you a debt. Not anymore. I've confessed my guilt. And Jesus paid my debts. Anger says you owe me a debt. But not anymore because I release you from the debt you owe me. Jesus paid my debts. You know, here's the thing that you have to understand about there's, there's no reason to be angry. That there is no currency that can satisfy the debt they owe you. There's no currency. We're dealing with spiritual things. There is no currency to satisfy the debt of betrayal. There is no currency to satisfy the debt of a wounded, that a wounded heart receives from being wounded, being violated, being, being torn apart and heartbroken. There's no currency for those things. So in other words, they may owe you or you may consider that they owe you. You might believe that you deserve this or that, but they will never be able to pay the debt. They cannot pay that in return. They are unable to give you what you need to satisfy what they owe you. And so what you do when you find that out, you could run off and be more angry, get more bitter, or you can immerse yourself in understanding the gospel again. Something you should do every day. Immerse yourself in understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ again and again and again and again and again and again until you know that in the very foundation of your soul and of your heart that you know hallelujah that you owe me nothing because Jesus paid it all and I owe you nothing because Jesus paid it all and I'm talking about spiritual things if you owe MasterCard something you need to pay MasterCard what you owe them I'm talking about spiritual things and, and so when you're talking about the, this is what the word forgive means. I mean, if you, if you in, invert the word forgive, it's give for. What do you think Jesus did? He gave for. He gave for you. We say he forgave you. He gave for you. You owed a debt you could not pay. He gave for you. Or forgave you. Hallelujah. And they owe you a debt they cannot pay. So we allow Jesus through us to give for them or to forgive them. Hallelujah. The same blood that washed your sins away washed their sins away. When you said, I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is why when I baptize people in Jesus' name, 
We quote it as Acts 2.38 quoted it. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Not of your sins or of my sins, but of sins, which means yours and mine. So not only are my sins being washed away by the precious blood of the Lamb, but every sin that has been perpetrated against me is being washed away by the blood of the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. In sin I wandered sore and sad with bleeding heart and aching head. Hallelujah. Till Jesus came and sweetly said, I'll take your sins away. This is what the Lord's Prayer means when it says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. See, it's simultaneous. See, he's forgiving me as I'm forgiving them. Forgive us our debts as. At the same moment he's forgiving me of my debts, I'm forgiving my debtors. The parable that is just, that stops us cold in our tracks is the parable of the master who was approached by the man who owed him so much money. And when this man came to his creditor and said, I owe you so much money, and the creditor demanded that it be paid, and the man was unable to pay it, and he begged for mercy, please don't, don't cast me into debtor's prison. Please don't, don't take this out on me. Please don't take my wife and my children, as the parable played out. And, and when the master looked upon him in such a pitiful state, he had mercy upon him and forgave the debt. Now, folks, that's us when we come up here to this altar. And we say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. And we say, will you wash my sins away? And the Lord washes our sins away. But then in the parable, the tragedy is that the man walked right out, found somebody who owed him less than what he had owed the creditor. And he grabs this poor guy by the lapels and gets in his grill and it's like, you better pay up now or I'm going to have you cast into jail. The sad part of the story is that when it was all said and done, he ended up having to pay the debt he originally owed. If we go down into these waters, baptized in the precious name of Jesus, and we expect forgiveness for our sins, but we do not expect to forgive others for their sins, we have taken the name of the Lord our God in vain. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's, an, it's imperative that we immerse ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is at the cross that we learn again how he forgave us, how he washed us, how he cleansed us, how he was wounded. Listen to this, listen to this. He was wounded not for his transgressions, for our transgressions. He was bruised not for his iniquities, 
but for our iniquities. So it's a daily coming to the cross of Jesus Christ. It will heal you of your anger, heal you of your bitterness. When you look upon Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, when you look upon Jesus, the first thing that will stand out to you when you have a clear, crisp view of Jesus, and I'm telling you, you have to do this in prayer to really get a hold of him. Sing about it till you see him. Praise him until you see him. Call his name until you see him. And the first thing that's going to stand out to you is his absolute perfection and worthiness and majesty. And it's going to humble you. And you're going to realize, I don't even deserve to be in his presence. Which will then beg the question, do you really want what you deserve? Is that what you really want, what you deserve? Is that what I really want, what I deserve? This whole gospel grace message of God's mercy is the fact that he kept me from receiving what I deserve. I can't tell you how grateful I am that he didn't give me what I deserve. There's nothing in my life that I deserve. There's nothing. If I were to truly receive what I deserve, I wouldn't just be in the grave, I'd be in hell. If I got what I deserved. I don't want what I deserve. I want the will of God in my life. I want the blessing of God in my life. And if that means a season of struggle, and if that means a season of difficulty, then so be it. Hallelujah. I refuse to let the deeds of the old man have influence upon the new man. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. I put off wrath, I put off anger, I put off malice, I put off blasphemy, I put off filthy communication out of my mouth, I put off lying one to another. I want, I want the will of God in my life. Oh, hallelujah. I wonder if Joseph felt like he deserved false accusation. I wonder if Joseph felt like he deserved to be betrayed by his brethren. I wonder if Job felt like he deserved to lose all of his children. I wonder if Hosea felt like he deserved to marry Gomer who was unfaithful to him but was, but was the will of God for his life. I wonder if Jeremiah felt like he deserved to be lowered down into that pit of absolute utter mire and filth left to die. You have to release the anger to God. Verbally. God, I give you my anger. It's not mine anymore. I give it to you. I give you this bitterness. I want to read to you from the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And verse... 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness 
without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Here it is. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Why do we follow peace with all men? Why do we follow holiness with all men? Why do we look diligently? I'll tell you why. Because without following peace with all men, and without following holiness with all men, and without looking diligently, we could fail of the grace of God. And a root of bitterness could get inside of us. And let me tell you something about a root of bitterness. It will spring up. And it will trouble you. And many will be defiled. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, let me be rooted and grounded in your love. Let no root of bitterness have any way in my life. I wonder if we could just release some things to God right now and say, Lord, help me to, help me to release to you in the name of Jesus any anger that I'm holding on from how hurt I have felt, how hurt I have been. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. Lord, I give it to you right now in the name of Jesus. I give you my pain. I give you my heartache. I give you my hurt. I give you those feelings of betrayal that I never want to experience again. I give them to you right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, that's it in the name of Jesus. So many of your relationships have been defiled by the root of bitterness that you've been carrying along from one relationship to another. From one friendship to another. That root of bitterness has been laying beneath the surface, springing up, troubling your marriage, troubling your walk with God, troubling your friendships, troubling your mind. You get, can't even rest sometimes at night because there's a root of bitterness that needs to be dealt with in your spirit. It's an enemy of your heart. In the name of Jesus, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, about forgiveness. Let me tell you something about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a decision. And if you'll make the decision to forgive, then God will bless you with peace in your spirit. But if you're waiting for the emotion of peace to come, then you'll be waiting forever. It doesn't work that way. You make up in your mind, I'm going to forgive them. Let the word of God convict you and cause you to forgive. Let the spirit of the Lord move upon your heart and lead you to release them from whatever it is they owe you, from whatever it is you feel they owe you, from however you feel you were mistreated. 
Release them in the name of Jesus. Release them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus paid the debt. It was his blood. His blood is the only currency that has the power to pay the debt they owe you. Be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Be covered by the blood of the Lamb. Be immersed in the blood of the Lamb. Don't sweep it under the rug. Put it under the blood. Hallelujah. And live victoriously over anger and over guilt. I know I don't owe you and I know you don't owe me. We are free, children of the free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. In order to remove guilt, confess. And in order to remove anger, forgive. Glory. Let's stand to our feet today. Let's stand to our feet and let's just lift up our hands unto the Lord. This, let's, just, let's just surrender ourselves to him right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my Blessed Savior, I surrender all. I surrender all. I All to, to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender You can ask God to do anything. You really can. You can ask God for help with anything. 
You can look to him and say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I need you to do it. I used to think, well, only ask God to do the things you can't do, and then you do the things you can do. And you know what? I've got myself in so much trouble doing the stuff I can do. I just decided, Lord, I'm going to let you do it all. I'm going to let you put your spirit inside of me and do everything I need you to do. Because what anything I can do, he can do better. He can do anything better than me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know, so we're talking about the root of bitterness. I, 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 that's another thing. It's like the heart. It's invisible. Where to tell you to take your shovel and where to put it in the soil of your soul to find that root. It's under the surface and it's invisible, and, and the surface is invisible. This is a this is, ladies and gentlemen, a just had a bug fly on me. Pardon me. <laughs> Lord, I thought that the devil was coming after me. <laughs> About to have to have to go into spiritual warfare there. But you can go to God and say, God, I don't know where this root is because I don't know where it started. I don't know where the seed came that began this anger that I've got. Maybe you can trace it back to some place. But what if it was before then and before that? God, it's invisible to me. I need you to do it. I need you to open up my heart, open up my spirit, and have your way in me. Could we pray that prayer right now? Could we pray that prayer right now? Oh, God. Oh, God. God, I don't know where to start with this. I don't know why I have all the feelings I have. I